Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 368 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 27th, 2015. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Off-season, what off-season? Lots of questions to get to. Lots of USC football topics to get to. We're going to have Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde on this show answering all of your questions. If you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can leave us a voicemail. 206-888-6755 is the voicemail number. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and you can leave a voicemail right there on the website for us. And without further ado, we're going to get to our first guest, Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, sorry I missed last week. Had a funeral I had to attend. Uh, but uh, I'm back. I'm ready to go. And uh, spring practice is done. And now we're into that very, very... Uh, exciting period of time of recruiting, passing leagues, commitments, all of the above. And uh, I know we have a lot of questions, so let's get started. Yeah, we'll get right into it. And uh, let's go to, we're going to just thank our sponsor before we jump into everything, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. You see the Clippers are going to try to bounce back against the Spurs. Uh, you want to see the Ducks, all kinds of stuff going on in the world of sports, of course, Dodgers, Angels, everything here in L.A. or Southern California, you can go to sctickets.com, and they will help you out. And, uh, Coach, yeah, it's passing league time, seven-on-seven seven stuff. I'm out there watching a lot of these guys, uh, the recruits and stuff. It's kind of fun. But this, the team, people still want to talk about the team. We still got a lot of questions uh, about what's going on with the team. Um, and so we love to, to hear from everybody, and we want to get your thoughts, Coach, and uh, we'll, we'll fire some questions at you if that's okay. I'm ready to break the huddle. All right, let's break the huddle with Mark first. He says, I would like to know why Coach Hyde uh, believes that Sua Cravens is playing the wrong position. Did it, appear, did it appear that Sark was calling the – and also, does it appear that Sark was calling the plays on Saturday at the spring game? So two questions from Mark. Why do you think Craven's in the wrong position, and do you think that Sark was calling the plays? Well, I'm not saying that he's playing the wrong position. I'm saying that I would rather have him be in a better position as far as where he can play both sides of the field. When you're a linebacker, you're on the right or you're on the left. So people know where you are, and if I'm attacking a defense, I'm going to run away from him, or I'm going to do things I'm not going to screen towards him. I'm going to do different things where... I feel I have a better opportunity of making that play work. Uh, I think his NFL position will be a, a safety. I think he's a great player back there. He can cover the field. Not that they don't have people that can play back there, but he's, he's, he's an All-American on wherever he plays, and I just think that I'd rather have him in the secondary. That's if you can replace him an outside linebacker. I'm not saying move him there and then not have somebody capable of replacing him. But you always hear me say, get your best players on the field. Make sure your best players are playing the game, not watching the game, even if that means you've got to move someone to the offensive side of the football or the defensive side of the football. If they can help your team, and then the, the, you, don't do, you don't get any good of a guy watching the game. So I, I, I think he's, he's, he's obviously uh, they're waiting to see uh, some of these freshman kids uh, how they can rush the passer, how they can cover, how they can do the things that are necessary, coming off the edge, doing the things that you need to do at outside linebackers today. And if they have someone there, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they moved him back to safety. But we'll have to wait and see. I just think that's his natural position. He's always played back there. He's smart. He's got great hands. He's a hitter. He, he knows how to find the football. He's a playmaker. So you want your playmaker in a position we can make plays. Not that he can't make him a linebacker, but he can't make as many being on one side of the play, right? And uh, yeah, I agree with you, coach. And I, I, I like seeing him in both spots. I don't have a problem either way. He wasn't. He was reluctant to move from safety to outside linebacker, but I think he addressed. He uh, he 
embraced it now, and he's he's cool with doing it. He's a bigger guy too, so I think he's up to two twenty five or so. So not too bad of a weight to to be playing out there, but he does make a lot of plays. He's a, he's a guy you'd like to have eleven of them out there. He could probably play everywhere. I agree 100%. Uh, <laughs> you've got to have guys that can make plays, and, and he's a playmaker. He he could – he Ryan, I have no doubt he could go over and play on offense if they needed him. Oh, sure. He was a great running back in high school. So he's an athlete. So he's able to do whatever he has to do wherever you want him to play, and I'm sure he'll play wherever you want him to play. So he'll play that outside linebacker spot unless – and I'm he's a type of team guy that if he thinks he's hurting the team by moving to safety and they don't have somebody to play that outside linebacker position, he won't do it because he'll do what's best for the team before I think he'll do what's best for him as far as in the long run. Yeah. And uh, as far as Sark calling the plays, what I saw, and I don't know, uh, Coach, get your thoughts. It looked like the, that the, they would look to the sidelines where uh, Clay Helton was and it seemed to me like Clay Helton was kind of calling the plays, but it likely was scripted. Steve Sarkeesian was standing behind the line of scrimmage, so he didn't seem to be directly involved in which each play was going to be. But I'm sure, like I said, it was probably there was some scripting and stuff going on. But to me, Coach, it looked like Clay Helton was calling them during the game. I don't know if you had any different thoughts. No, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I watched uh, Coach Sarkeesian a lot during the scrimmage, and he was not – that involved or active he did move around as far as where he wanted certain series to start but i think that he looked over to the sideline and if it wasn't scripted he was getting the signals the same signals that the quarterbacks were getting and he would know what the play is so uh he didn't need to have a a headset on because you just read and see what the the signals are from the sideline and you're able to be able to follow the play and make sure people are getting the necessary information uh, on the field so, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Clay Helton called all the plays. All right, uh, let's move on. Next topic. Coach Harvey Hyde hit the nail on the head when he reminded everyone that before USC can get into the playoffs, they have to win the Pac-12 South. In 2014, USC played five teams in the Pac-12 that had winning records. Stanford, the two Arizona schools, Utah and UCLA. USC was 2-3 and three against those teams, the teams that they had to beat. Uh, whatever Coach Hyde might be surprised are by the following. However, he said, whatever Coach Hyde might be surprised are by the following stats. In those five games, USC rushed for 777 yards and eight touchdowns, and opponents rushed for only 508 yards and six scores. But in passing, USC gained 1,071 yards and four touchdowns, while the opposition ranked up uh, 1,710 yards and 10 scores. So I draw the conclusion that the run offense and defense is not what primarily needs to be fixed what do you think coach uh jim and canyon country well i i think that you always try to get better in every position uh, stats are are good but they don't always tell the entire story of exactly what's happening depends what type or when the game is what the score is who you're playing uh, we all know how usc lost two games last year we don't have to repeat that games they should have uh, won. Uh, stats are, are, are things you do look at, though, to determine where you should get better and what type of teams you're playing as far as total offense in certain areas. Uh, I think that you have to run the football, though, to be a great football team. I think you've got to be able to have the confidence to know that if you need a yard or whatever you need and to get the, a defense to play honestly against you, you've got to be able to run the football. And uh, I think all champions or all teams that run the football, watch Ohio State last year and see how Elliott ran the football. Yeah. Sure, they had a great quarterback, but they ran the football. And they're very physical, Ryan, and, and, and I think you have, to be, you have to be a physical type of football team to be a champion. You have to pound people, and you have to get people to surrender to you. And uh, I think that that's part of what football is about. Football is a tough guy's game. And I think that the offensive side of the football has got to be as angry and, and tough and determined uh, as the defensive side of the football. Otherwise, the defensive the side of the football dominates you. So you've got to be domination. You've got to be want to. You've got to be want to uh, be the toughest, the best blocker, the best goal line offense. The whole thing. So uh, to look at the stats and, and determine. Uh, what they need to get better, better. And every year you try to get better in every area of your football team. And 
I think they'll be a better football team in the secondary next year. I like their inside linebackers. I really believe, whether people believe me or not, I know Pollard's gone, but I think the inside linebackers will be better and more depth than they had this year. Uh, I, I, I'm, I hope the outside linebackers come along, and uh, I know Ruffin's going to be back, and hope Powell does better. Uh, Felix is back. Silva Craven's on the other side. And then talking about the guys coming in, I mean, these guys have got great potential, and I say this all the time, they've got to play. I saw one of their big uh, freshman linebackers or linemen coming in and, and defensive linemen. I just happened to be at a, a, a football uh, thing that he was at, and he came over and he at, started talking to me. And I said, are you, are, you, are you who you are? And he said, yes, I am. I said, well, you go, when you go to SC, you just be ready to play. I said, you be ready to play, and you'll find yourself a spot there. Don't go in thinking that you're just a youngster and you're going to watch. You go in there and you kick butt and you play, but son, you can play. And if you play early enough, you'll be playing on Sunday too. Because I've seen you in video, you can play. So I think they're young players. They've got, they've really got to get some young players in there to mature quickly on the defensive side of the ball, because the offensive side of the ball, the offensive line, the, the running backs, quarterback situations, receivers, I think are are in place. So I think the the thing, number one thing they got to do is get the defensive front straightened away. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Jim and Canyon Country. Let's move on. This is uh, this will be an interesting one for you, Coach. He says, a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. I played for him in 1974 and 1975. Uh, his name is Pat, by the way. Um, who are the tough, hard-nosed kids on this team, and which players are the players you hate to play against because they're going to hit you with full intensity every play unless you were an intimidator, and then it was a battle of wills. Uh, so I guess that's the first part of his question. Well, who are the tough guys on this team? Uh, trying to think now, right now, to go back and, and, and think about it. Uh, I mean, I think uh, you got to mention. I think Cravens has to be one of them. I mean, he's a he's certainly Craven. Like a, Cravens is a football player. Yeah, that's that's what Cravens is. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's a uh, he's not necessarily a tough guy he's just a football player that can do it all he's a great athlete that utilizes his athletic ability and he's a football player he's not i don't think he's a guy you you know that wants to go and i don't think i want to go down the alley with him to fight <laughs> when you talk about a tough guy I talk when i used to talk to my teams i say okay you you and you i want the rest of the team to be like these three guys so when we go down the alley down a dark alley I can depend on you got my back. Uh, I don't know the kids that closely to know who they are, but but they're you know, gosh, you caught me cold on this. Well, one. you know, it, it's kind of I think it was a kind of a hypothetical question because let me I'll I'll finish what he's saying there and get your opinion. He's like, in your opinion, has the team lacked a dominant physical intimidator the past couple of years? Is when I played, the Samoan kids were the toughest kids, and you knew you had to battle all game. I hope our freshman linemen play with the bring the intimidation. Maybe Cameron Smith and some of the incoming freshmen will get there, but otherwise, I don't see much intimidation in our defensive personnel. I'd like to hear your opinion because you always coach us to bring a physical, intimidating style of play. Uh, this caused a, a little hesitation with the opposition, and the playmakers capitalized on that. Coach, that was a formula you and Tark put into the 74 team I played with. How about our current Trojans, Pat? <laughs> no, you're, you're, he's exactly right. I even had the ugliest guy get off the bus first. <laughs> so if people watching us arrive, I'd say, you get off the bus first, son. And, uh, and uh, it just, it just you're exactly right. Uh, I believe in intimidation. I believe that even before the game, we'd have a bull-in-the-ring drill right at the 40-yard line where the other team was warming up. And uh, if you're an old football player, you remember what bull in the ring is. One guy goes in the middle and you call a number and their name, and that guy comes in and hits him. That next guy comes in and hits him. And we would do that all the way across so the other team could say, and they'd say, those guys are nuts. They're absolutely nuts what's going on down there. So, yeah, uh, I – when you talk about that on the defensive side of the ball, I, you know, Cameron Smith sort of plays like that. I, I agree with uh, Pat on what he's saying. Otherwise, on the defensive side of the ball, 
I don't see any real intimidators. I think I think McCray would like to be that way. I think he'd like to, you know, hit right on the verge of what's a 15-yard penalty or not. Uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I can't really say there's someone that's that I see on the defensive side of the football that I say, man, that guy is, uh, you know, is, is, he's got to have a crowbar with him yeah. or something. This guy yeah. rips face masks off. You, you know, it's know? funny. Chris Chris Hawkins is pretty physical for when he played corner and now, you know, playing more of a safety. Um, yeah. But, yeah, even, like, on the defensive line, like, I mean, maybe an Antoine Woods. But, there's yeah, there's not the guy yeah. where, like, Ray Maluga was that guy, you know, before where he would crush people and you just kind of knew it. But you're right. I mean, I think it's a good point by Pat. Is there is something like that missing? Is there – this intimidator guy that just you know is going to crush people, uh, I'm not sure if they really have one. You know, and Pat, you, you caught me and you made me stutter. <laughs> you know, player. I'm stuttering right now because I'm searching for what you asked me as far as who to name, and I'm not sure there is one right now that I can say that. Uh, I think Felix would like to be. I think Felix liked to play hard. He plays hard. He does, he yeah. Loved it. And I think he'd love to tear your head off. Uh, I mean, uh, there's some guys that I knew I was going to get a 15-yard penalty in every game. Every game, this guy <laughs> was going to get me 15 yards, no matter what. And I'd tell him, son, you can't keep doing that. We're going to get beat. But the pace that he set and what he, how he played lift the entire defense to play up to that type of level. And I think that's what we've had at USC or what USC has had in the past those type of players that set the pace and the level that if the rest of the team's not playing with that intensity, they go over and remind them, yeah. hey, you know, I'm majoring in the NFL. You be the doctor, but I'm going to major in the NFL, okay? Let's pick up the level. Let's get this thing going around here. The type of guy that intimidates even the players, but as far as saying, hey, you better bring your game today. I'm, you know, I'm not kidding you about this. Or I'm going to take you behind the, the woodshed. Uh, these type of guys. I, I don't really see that right now on the defensive side of the football. I'm, and I'm not trying to put people down. Maybe they don't breed people like this anymore, but I see them around. But uh, I, I have to agree with Pat. I, I can't really – Felix plays hard, uh, There's other, but I don't really see that right now. I think Serraro runs around and would like to hit you too. But, uh, you know, I'm talking about guys that intimidate the other team. When you watch the films, you look and you say, oh, look at that guy, number 10. <laughs> wow. Man, I hope he plays over you and not me. <laughs> that type of thing. I agree, Pat. All That's right, well, the second half of Pat's question. No, that was it. That was the, that was the that rest was of it. Yeah, yeah. So, Pat, you should, uh, you should tw- tweet at Coach Harvey Hyde, at Coach Harvey Hyde, tell him how you played for him back in 74, 75. I'm sure he'd love to yeah. hear from you. Yeah, I really would love to hear from him. I love all my other players, all my players. And I, if I saw him, I knew who he is. All right. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's go to Paul in Vegas. He said, same old question. Why are guys leaving early who aren't projected as first two rounders? As a Vegas Trojan, I'll pick on Xavier Grimble. Is he even playing ball anymore? Did he just dislike school that much that he couldn't finish his eligibility at USC? So my real question is, should we be signing guys – who are great USC? Who are great USC degree? Excuse me. Who a great USC degree means something to, and they want to stay for four years. Paul in Vegas. Well, you know, I agree with him. Uh, you know, I think uh, when you, if you play at USC, uh, sometimes there's some schools in in Hollywood areas, you become Hollywood. You think you're a star before you're a star. And sometimes you shouldn't get out and go out early. And there's been a lot of players that have done that. And uh, I think you hurt yourself. I think you want to uh, be in the NFL before you're ready to be in the NFL. And, you, and you know, we, I think that society in general, uh, I was at the UCLA scrimmage yesterday or Saturday, and I was watching the, uh, the recruits they had there and the way they walk around and the way they have that little skip to them, a little bop to them. They're already a star. I mean, they they feel their star. They're they're already people leading them around, had feeding them, doing all the things they have to do, even before they go to college. And I, are they really thinking about getting the degree, going to college, or are they thinking about I'm a star and I'm going to go in the NFL as soon as I can, and this and that? 
and a lot of guys don't really go to college to get a degree and play college football and enjoy it while you can. Enjoy all four years of it. Then go to the NFL. A lot of them go there. to, And you know what their major is? I want to say, tell you flatly, their major is to major in the NFL. I've had players tell me that when I coached in college all-star games. I, had, I won't tell you who the players are, but I'd say, what's your major? And he says, Coach, I'm not a hat sailor. He says, I majored in the NFL. Now let those other guys stand there and sail their hats when they graduate. Uh, you know, you, you have that mentality. And there are some players that think they're better than what they are, and people tell them they're better than what they are. So they come out and they, they go into the NFL earlier, and, and they don't make it. And then if you ask them now, they wish they'd have stayed. I'm sure that some of the players that left last year wish they'd have stayed. I really do. The draft's coming up this week. We'll see how many of these players really get drafted. And a lot of them will go play free agency, and they're a big sign with somebody as a free agent, and some will make it and some won't. Now, what happens when you don't? They're in the B League, unless you go to the Arena Football League. They're in any more NFL in Europe. So you sort of hang around and you and you have this dream and, and all of a sudden after four or five years you say, well, I better get a job. So you go back to your roots. You go back to USC. You go back to your university and, and you hang around there and hope that you can get a degree or hang around there and hope that somebody will pick you up or one of your teammates will help you get a job. So, you know, I think you, I, I'm, one, I'm one that says, hey, man, enjoy it. Why you can. College is a great thing. I mean, my, the friends I met in college were still close and were still great friends. So let things happen. You know, it takes nine months to have a baby. You've heard me say that. Nine months to have a baby. So why rush it? Enjoy college. Enjoy your teammates. Get your degree and then go play in the NFL if you can. All right. Makes sense, Coach. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's go. We'll end on this one, Marcel, since you're the Rose Bowl expert. And I, I actually didn't look at this too closely, but uh, I know you probably know what's going on with here. He says, can you explain why the Rose Bowl is not in the mix for the championship game? Love the show, Marcel. Marcel, uh, uh, let me put it to you this way. I think they it's not the Rose Bowl that blew it, but I think the city of Pasadena and L.A. blew it. It's a community type of an event. You buy the event. It isn't just because it, you know, it's the Rose Bowl. First of all, I think the national championship game every year should be played in the Rose Bowl, personally. It's the only bowl game left, major bowl game left, that's played in a college football stadium. All the other ones are NFL stadiums, okay? If you ask any kid out of the state of California or anywhere else what bowl game they want to coach in or play in or coaches, it's the Rose Bowl. It is absolutely the Rose Bowl. I'm telling you that the Coliseum has great tradition, but I'm talking about going to a bowl game. It's the Rose Bowl. Uh, and I think it should be there every year, but that's not what happened. It's now all money. It's all business. You have to buy the game somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million. Now, what do you get for it? That's the thing. What do you get for buying the bowl game? Do you get the ticket revenue? What do you get? Well, there's so many stipulations on the contract of what you have to guarantee for, to the football playoff system or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> I, I forgot what it's really called, but it's something like that. That that it becomes where it's not worth it. You can't make the money back. I think that if they'd have jumped on it immediately, they'd have had a chance. But now... You've got cities bidding for it, bidding to get this. Now, how did Jimmy Johnson or Jimmy uh, uh, Jerry Jones come out on this thing? I don't know, but it's very difficult to cut the nut on what it costs you to get it. And and I've been saying this all along. And you people, maybe I haven't said it on this show that there's podcast, but all my other shows, there'll be a day when you won't get the Rose Bowl for free. You won't get the, the bowl games for free. You're going to pay for that on pay-per-view. Slowly it's gone from free television to cable television, and before long you'll be buying a bowl package. A bowl pack. Why isn't the Pac-12 
on DirecTV and all. It's money. All comes down to money, more money. We want more money. We want more money. And then the colleges want more money, so they're going to tell the affiliates, we need more money. We want more money. So all of a sudden they're going to say, well, we're now, now we're going to sell the college football season, and then we're going to sell the college football playoffs on a special package where you pay $250, let's say, for the four bowl games. Uh, that's all coming. Yeah. We're not that far. Ryan, that's down the road. It's all money, and money has started now where you call it greed because it's become professional athletics in college. It's all professional athletics now. It's who can outdo everyone with the best facilities? Who can have 17 different uniforms? Who can do all these different things that these kids need to be spoiled? What happened when you go to school and you get an education, you play your butt off, and you get something really great? Now it's all the other things and above. We need to have this. We need to have that. We need to have six uniforms and an alternative uniform and yellow shoes. And What are you talking about? What happened to just being a football player and getting an education? Now, a lot of you out there might disagree with me, and that's just my opinion I'm saying. But that's how I feel on that. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. We appreciate it. Love that. getting all the questions in from everybody. So thanks for again for uh, coming on the show after a week off on Secret Assignment. And uh, good talking to you again, Coach. Hey, buddy. Thank you very much. And we thank all of you out there. And, Pat, especially I want to say hi to you. I'm uh, trying to think who you might have been, Pat Coughlin, Pat somebody that liked tough guys on defense. I, I know, and he was a tough guy. You know, he played so hard, Pat, if it's the Pat I think it is, that I used to tell him during the game, he used to chew gum, you know, and I told him, Pat, are you mad at the gum you're chewing? <laughs> I said, give it a break. You're trying to kill it. And uh, if that's the Pat that uh, called in for the question, uh, that's the way he used to play, too. Believe me, I, I used to love to watch him play. All right. Uh, hey, thank you, all of you that listened to the segment and the podcast. Ryan, I thank you, and uh, everybody have a great week. All right. Thanks, Coach. And uh, everyone else, back in a minute, we're going to talk to USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back on the Peristyle Podcast with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Going into this offseason, summer workouts will be starting in a few weeks or month or so, Dan, and uh, get some some football for now we're kind of going on the seven on seven tournaments checking out a lot of the prospects but a little bit of a lull as far as the team to the team news and stuff goes yes it is uh and that's probably good i mean we've always kidded about you get three years worth of news every 12 months at usc <laughs> uh anyway so uh um it gives you a little time to look ahead kind of look at next year's schedule and you know where you're going to be and maybe playing ahead a little bit and kind of doing a, a piece uh, put up uh, uh, that kind of ranks the road trips, you know, and thinking probably if you've got a road schedule that takes you into South Bend in the, the middle of October when the weather is still really nice and then uh, you get to go to end of September, you're going into, you know, Tempe and uh, just any game for USC at Oregon, 
remind you of the last time, which would have been four years ago. Uh, and then um, and you got San Francisco, the weekender uh, for Cal. And then you get Boulder, where, uh, you know, if you ski, it's a, a, <laughs> it's a really, really nice uh it's a really nice trip, and, and Boulder's always an interesting trip, although you wish it could be back in the daytime sometime as opposed to the night games. But, uh, but that's a five-game schedule. It, it really is, um, you know, high-quality road trips uh, for USC fans. Yeah, not too bad. So look forward. You can check that out on uscfootball.com. Check out Dan's work there. And, Dan, we still got a bunch of questions, even though it's the offseason. People are sending them all in. So do you mind if we uh, jump in and start answering some? Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me. And I, I, I was interested in that we had a, a somebody who wasn't all that thrilled about putting in the attendances of spring games in the war room, and and, and we were we put in all the national attendances where you get some, you know some tremendously high, you know Ohio State and, and Nebraska and places like that, Alabama, but uh, when you look at USC's attendance in the spring games. Uh, you know, nearly 23,000. And uh, I was looking at the rest of the Pac-12, and I think he had 1,000 at the Cal game. And he had like 8,000 at the UCLA game and 4,000 at Arizona and 4,500 at Arizona State. Uh, The new coach at Oregon State, I think they got 12,000 there, and I think they got 12,000 at Utah. But uh, but USC's uh, performance uh, with the, you know with the fans that showed up for the spring game I thought was extremely uh, kind of encouraging and would, would would make you think that you know people are really uh, pretty darn excited about uh, about college football coming up. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. Just uh, I mean, it's not going to be Columbus or Lincoln, Nebraska, but you know as far as the West Coast goes, pretty pretty good. Uh, Pretty good numbers there. I can't can't argue with that. Yeah, I mean, I think you five. You could put five of the other teams together in the Pac-12 and not equal USC's crowd. So I'm uh, you know, really you know impressive uh, uh, you know performance by the USC fan base. All right, uh, cool, cool for that. We had uh, Dan referred to the War Room post from last Friday. You can go check that out on uscfootball.com, and we'll jump into some of these questions here. Um, first one, let's talk about the offensive line. Do you see Toa Lobendon staying at left tackle or moving to a guard position where he is more of a natural fit? He is a great lineman, but he's not long enough to be a game changer at left tackle. That's from Tarek. Well, Tarek, I'm not sure he's big enough to play guard right now. The way, you know, you're kind of always looking at guard as to, you know, what size would you be in the NFL? Because these kids are all, you know, looking at, you know, to play at that next level. And uh, and you're looking at more of the road grader, you know, types at guard. So, to be honest, I've always seen Toa as a, um, you know, kind of a Ryan Khalil type guy, very cerebral, uh, you know, not the, the longest guy, uh, not quite maybe 6'3". And, uh, you know, a guy who's probably not comfortably going to play at 300 pounds at any time in his career. So, so I would always have, have seen him more as a, uh, as a center. It was hard to do that with him being a true freshman, even with spring ball behind him last year. And I think Max Turk is always you know, considered such a leader, and he is, and a senior, and he's Cody Kessler's uh, roommate, and all that kind of thing. But, uh, but I would I would see if I'm I'm seeing Toa somewhere else, uh, and he's not a natural left tackle. I, I would say that, but he's got that kind of you know uh, high football IQ, uh, athleticism, all of that that allows him probably to play anywhere. But you know for the you know the sake of of, of where he goes next or his longevity in the USC program. Uh, you would think center might be the other other spot for him. Yeah, we thought there might be a swap with uh, Max Turk back to left tackle and and Toa Lobadon at center. Um, we kind of heard that might be happening, and then in the spring, of course, it didn't. Right. So, I mean, I wouldn't completely rule it out. Uh, you know, it, it might be the better thing for uh, for Max Turk as well, although he's going to be highly ranked as a center anyway. 
no matter what, whether that is his best position or not. So, you know, I would think it's not going to hurt him, uh, although maybe, you know, the more chance he gets to play at, uh, you know, at left tackle, if, if that's where he's going to be. I, I would say Max, I only think we can even guess where he's going to end up in the NFL. I, I, mean, I don't, I just think, you know, you can, if he can, if the 12,000 calorie day diet sticks and he can keep his weight, you know, say at 305 or something like that, or you can get it to 305 and keep it there, then I think that opens up a whole lot of spots. Uh, on the on the offensive line for him, but right now, uh, you know, he's going to play in the NFL. It's just a matter of uh, a matter of where. All right, uh, we had a couple of people write in about Jake Olson, who uh, you might have saw during the Pete Carroll years. Um, he was, uh, you know, back then a young kid, a you know, pre teenager, um, had a kind of rare cancer that he had lost eyesight and one eye and during the process of being friends with a bunch of guys at USC and Pete Carroll that uh, they had to, you know, take his other eye and he's completely blind now, but he's like a varsity golfer. He's a long snapper for his football team down in Orange County and, um, you know, has a desire to, to walk on and play football at USC. And uh, so there's a couple of questions, Dan, I want to talk to you about because there's been some kind of news. So I'll, I'll read uh, first Jeff, the math teacher from Fountain Valley, um, he said, a while back, I emailed with a snarky suggestion that perhaps USC should force the NCAA into a sticky situation by offering Jake Olson a 26 scholarship. The thought was the NCAA would either have to let USC, quote unquote, break the rules or would have to deny an inspirational blind kid his dream come true. I was just being silly uh, by the suggestion, of course. But then this morning, and he talks about the Orange County Register article where Jake would actually need some sort of waiver because he's getting a Swim with Mike scholarship. Uh, so he kind of talks about that. And I, w- I wanted to get a comment on that. But Ed and Alyssa Viejo brought up a different issue, kind of the same topic. But um, he's he says he was wondering if there should be any concern about his affiliation with a golf apparel company where he's prominently featured at a USC jersey. Uh, Jake is listed alongside several well-known PGA and pro tennis players as a Travis Matthew team member. So he's on the well, website for this Travis Matthew group of athletes. So a couple different concerns there, Dan. I don't know if you knew about the last one, but kind of get your thoughts from uh, from what Jeff and, and Ed had concerns with about Jake Olson joining the football team. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly you know, checked out the first one because that is the first thought you have is, uh, you know, there are schools that would probably figure out ways to get around the, uh, you know, the 85 scholarship limit or the 25 a year if they could, you know, award uh, – uh, academic scholarships or other kinds of scholarships uh, to, to, to guys who could play football. Uh, it certainly has been done in the past. And uh, so um, so that was the first thought was that with the Swim with Mike scholarship, uh, the rule has been that if you're getting any other kind of scholarship aid from the school, that you basically, um, and then you play football, you, you basically have to be counted as a football scholarship. Uh, so checked around and nobody, you know, is absolutely going on the record, but I think without a doubt he would need a waiver from the NCAA and the NCAA gives those waivers. And so I, I wouldn't say he wouldn't get one because, uh, it's probably as much as, you know, uh, Steve Sarkeesian is committed to, we want to give him a chance and we want to give, you know, Jake a chance to, to be in games and, and, uh, and do what he does really well, obviously, uh, do you take a scholarship away from, uh, you know, from, you know, you don't give a, a one of the 25 that you can give out, or do you give, uh, you know, one of the 85 uh, that you're allowed to give out, or do you try to, you know, go with the Swim with Mike scholarship and, and, and the waiver on it, which would seem to be the way that USC would go. If that isn't granted, and again, it's the NCAA, uh, you know, gosh only knows, you would try to outguess what they'd be thinking. Uh, but if that didn't happen, I would I would think USC would clearly think about giving him a scholarship. Uh, but let's hope you know, hope it doesn't come to that. I hope he can keep the uh, you know the swim with Mike scholarship. Uh, as to the uh, the golf apparel situation, um, I think there's not enough known as to exactly what that relationship is and how it manifests itself in USC. I think would be the kind of thing that when when Jake gets there, you know, they'll 
sit down with him and talk to him about, you know, what what's involved with it. And, uh, you know, there may be a way that he can do that if that's kind of a, a charitable, you know, enterprise, for example, uh, for for a foundation or something like that. And, and Jake does have a foundation. So there might be a way, uh, I mean, it's something that he did before college. So, uh, so that puts another spin on it. But I think that's one that, um, that can't probably be completely decided right now, uh, that it, it's more going to be once he gets to USC and they, uh, you know, they sit down and figure it all out and then, uh, and then make sure that, you know, that it's, that it's okay. Uh, but, uh, but I'm sure it's something that everybody will, you know, take a look at. All right. One of the other things about, and I don't know how this, this fits in, you know, you've got a, a golf and apparel company, and he is a golfer. And the one thing you're allowed to do now in the NCAA, you're allowed to be a pro, for example, uh, you know, guys sign baseball con- you know, contracts, and USC ends up playing against them, you know, in football, because if you're, you can be pro in one sport, and you can still be an amateur in another sport. Yeah. Um, so does that impact this situation? Because since it's golf, and that's not his sport he's playing in college, um, does, does that be a part of it? Although the other part there is, if you remember, the, the Colorado um, uh, receiver and punt return guy named, I think it was Jeremy Bloom, Yeah, who was the national champion, the best uh, skier in America. And uh, I think at first it looked like he was going to be okay, to play football and ski. And then they decided no, because he wasn't being paid to ski. He was, he had a, an endorsement contract. Uh, so they went on a kind of a technicality and said, well, if he was on a contract, uh, you know, as a, as a player, say if he were a minor league baseball player, that's one thing, but because he was on an, had an endorsement contract, that was another, that seemed like, some real hair splitting uh, to me uh, and whether that's still, you know, that principle still applies or not. But I do think it's not a real completely simple cut and dried uh, decision as to, as to how that would go. Yeah. It's funny that you, only the NCAA would take a, a cancer survivor, feel good story, blind kid like this and, and make a travesty out of it. I mean, just make a mess out of it. And I think it, they certainly have the potential. You would think that it wouldn't go down that way that it would just go through and they'll let him come in and he'll get a couple snaps over his career and it'll be great and people will talk about it. He'll be an inspiration for people all over the world. But the NCAA could still get in the way um, because we know they do stuff like that. Well, we have the recent example of the kid from the former homeless kid, uh, you know, from Texas who walked on at Baylor and earned a scholarship and ended up becoming a starter, I think, at fullback. And uh, because of some of the help, that he had been given when he was homeless, I, you know, I thought the last thing that, that I re- remember reading is that he wasn't able to play football this spring at Baylor. And they were talking about, you know, you got to pay, pay back, you know, whatever help he was given uh, when he was homeless and, and all that kind of thing. So, again, you never want to probably think you know what the right thing is or what the thing that, you know, will be done is because you probably don't. And it's, I think they get worried about setting precedent, but, you want to, you know, if a school is going, well, you let Jake Olson play, and it's like, okay, he's a blind cancer survivor. Or you, this kid got that benefit, okay, he was homeless living in his car. Like, there, I think it's pretty clear that if someone, if some other school wants to come and try to, get out uh, you know, of doing something illegal because of this loophole that you apparently set up because of letting a homeless guy play or uh, you know, not having a blind guy count as a scholarship. I just think you could explain that away fairly quickly, and it's something NCAA shouldn't have to worry about as far as precedent goes. You would think so, but you know, <laughs> and it's obvious in the USC case, they basically said uh, there are no precedents for what we're going to do to USC. And then after USC, there are no precedents for what we did to USC <laughs> to everybody else. So they had no problems uh, saying uh, what we're doing here does not establish a precedent. So one would think there's a precedent for that yeah. uh, for the NCAA. Well, speaking of, I guess we'll go to the NCAA question we got from Zo- our buddy Zunes. He said, whatever happened with the McNair case and what are the prospects of the, and everyone likes to call it the NZAA, uh, will continue to selectively persecute USC. I see nothing that would prevent 
This since we've sadly taken zero measures to deter that poisonous and corrupt gaggle of brigands. That's mm-hmm. from Zunes. <laughs> I keep hearing, though, that, that USC actually is taking steps legally and doing their homework. I, I, you know, I want to believe that. Uh, I'm not sure if everybody uh, you know, out there really wants to believe that anymore, but uh, I do hear that. Uh, that no, they haven't pulled off, uh, you know, the case or whatever. Uh, why they would be waiting for the, uh, you know, the final 200 pages of the McNair, uh, you know, testimony to come out, whether that comes out because uh, McNair enters it into the record himself, you know, in terms of saying, well, the NCA wouldn't include it in the appeal, uh, but we will. Uh, or what? Uh, I think it's it's going to be there, and so we will get to see it. Whether you know it changes anything, I mean, I think we've already seen enough. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think uh, McNair's attorneys, I think they were kind of taking a shot, at, a free shot at the NCA by saying, well, you didn't, you want the case to go on appeal after you've lost uh, the, the appeal, they wanted to, you know, they lost the appeal to keep everything uh, private, you know, sealed. And um, then they filed their appeal and they didn't include all the, uh, all the pages from the original case. And so McNair's attorneys kind of took a shot and said to the court, just dismiss the case. They haven't filed a complete record. And um, that was their obligation to do it. And that's, it's, it's very much up for grabs, whether, what you're supposed to do. I mean, among lawyers, they can certainly argue both sides of that case. And the court said after a few days, no, we're going to hear the case. Or we'll hear the appeal. I mean, I think they're going to shoot them down and shoot them down fairly, shoot the NCA down fairly hard on the appeal. And that'll be better in the long run. It'll take longer. But in the long run, the NCA will have one less um, technicality to appeal on which, you know, at the end of the case, if they lose the appeal, they could say, but we were, you know, uh, we were handicapped. We were unfairly, uh, you know, limited because uh, we weren't allowed to appeal because we didn't file the complete record. So when they hear the case on its merits, which would be the next thing to happen after they decide the appeal of uh, sealing the records, the next thing will be hearing the, the appeal of Judge Schaller's decision two and a half years ago that the case should go forward uh, because there's absolute reason to believe that, you know, McNair has a real shot to win the case of defamation because of the emails and the maliciousness and the hatred that was in there. And that that's going to be upheld. There's no way uh, that uh, the court doesn't, up, you know, uphold that because there it is. You can see it. You can read it. I mean, it's, it's obvious what Judge Schaller saw and, and what we've read now. Uh, so if that happens, let's say by the end of the summer, if that happens, uh, the case goes back to um, uh, Superior Court in Los Angeles for trial. And if that happens, the um, McNair's attorneys are going to ask for complete discovery. Right now they've only had uh, a deposition, you know, they only deposed one of the eight voting members in the Committee on Infractions, and none of the people, the five people on the uh, Committee on uh, the Infractions Appeals Committee. So they would go through all of those people and depose all of them. My guess would be they would, impo- you know, they would uh, uh, depose, uh, you know, Mark Emmert, president. Uh, there would be some other people, possibly some people who have left the NCAA, uh, in the uh, you know in the interim, and um, I think that would be some really interesting material. Uh, I know I've talked to a number of lawyers who say nobody directly associated with the case, but who say there's no way they would if they were the NCA's attorneys that they would allow this case, that they would allow anybody at the NCA to be deposed anymore. Uh, they said this is, that was, that's just crazy, but then that means they probably have to settle it. You know, I'm almost getting the sense that unless the NCAA and the attorneys, unless somebody there is so obtuse, they know they have to settle this case. Now, you know what? The, you know the meter is running in terms of the dollars, though, and the longer they stall, 
the more it's going to cost them. So, you know, does 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 a you know some reality set set settle in? I'm thinking anybody that was on that committee on infractions is begging the NCA settle it. I don't <laughs> want to be deposed. Yeah. I don't want my emails to come out. I don't want you know any more of this. I, I thought it was interesting. Guy who used to be the chairman of the Committee on Infractions named Jack Friedenthal. He was a Stanford law professor, went to George Washington as the dean. Uh, he was the chairman of the committee when they slammed USC for three term papers that were written by tutors back in 2001. And he's the guy who, in the Notre Dame case the year before, he said, this is a major violation. And that was the case where you had uh, a, quote, booster uh, spending, you know, embezzling $1.6 million and taking players to, you know, Las Vegas and doing all kinds. Well, uh, in that case, he said, that was a major case, but we're going to treat it like a minor uh, violation, and they gave Notre Dame one scholarship uh, loss. Uh, The next year, USC comes along with three term papers written by tutors, and he says, this is a minor case but we're going to treat it like a major one. Well, he's still, Jack Friedenthal is still on the uh, NCA Infractions Appeals Committee for the USC case. Why? I have no idea, because he's still being sued by the former Buffalo basketball coach for the ex parte communications where this coach was, you know, basically framed by um, you know by uh, a number of people uh, who wanted to take him down and uh case is still going in federal court but he was being sued for the same thing that USC was kind of accusing that happened and now we know for sure did happen in the um in the USC case in the McNair case and uh USC allowed him to stay on the uh, uh on the infractions appeals committee but I looked up his web his um, bio on the George Washington website the other day, and I find it interesting. He's been one of the main Committee on Infractions NCA people for decades. There's no mention on there of his work for the NCAA, <laughs> which I find really interesting because it mentions that he's done some cases for the NFL. Doesn't mention that he's with the NCA anymore. So I'm thinking if you're one of those people that was on the committee for the USC case, you probably don't want it known uh, out there. It's probably no longer a resume enhancer that they thought it might be. Yeah, I would agree, <laughs> I would agree with you there, Dad. All right, Zoons, well, thanks. So hopefully you got your full fill of NCAA talk uh, from that one. And Dan always does a great job with that. we got a couple more to get to, and we'll uh, wrap up the podcast. Uh, a couple from Melvin. He wanted to know about Mark Tyler, Dan. He said, I saw his name in the paper during spring practice as one of the alumni who came to visit USC. What is he doing now? And did he ever play in the NFL? And he uh, he played, well, he had one year of, like, practice squad with the Green Bay Packers in 2012. Packers, right. And yeah. I think that was well, you it. Had, you probably had more time. I talked to him a little bit. I think you had a little more. I think he wants to get back involved in football. I know he was down on the sidelines uh you know, at the at the spring game, and then we we started. I don't know if we saw him at one one other practice or not. I yeah, he did. came to a couple, and uh, you know, I talked to him before. He was kind of interested in doing media stuff. Uh, he's put on a little bit of weight. He couldn't play running back right now, but no, he was. He looks like a nose. He's a little more like a nose guard. <laughs> but great kid, you know. For, uh, yeah. You know, uh, from Oaks Christian, and he. Um, yeah, he was interested in the media stuff, but just didn't really seem like it. So I think he would like to get on the administration side, the coaching side, being involved in football, but probably with a team as opposed to with like a media organization. That's kind of my guess right now. He's still yeah, trying to figure had, it out. He had one kind of um, media hit that night uh, on TMZ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> Where true. Where he was clubbing. Uh, I thought he. Uh, <laughs> He was funny. Yeah, he was and, funny. Uh, it was a good. Uh, it was a good little episode. It actually didn't hurt anybody. So that was, was and he was, uh, you know, he was having fun. Right. But, so uh, Mark is a. He likes to have fun. He definitely does. He's a great kid. So we'll kind of keep you up to date on what he's doing. He's still trying to figure it out right now. Um, and then the other one was with Bryce Dixon. He says, "I know, uh, 
you know, we haven't heard his name at all recently with Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick having academic troubles. Isn't tight end a spot where we need players? So what's going on with Bryce Dixon? Well, I, I think we maybe, you know, I mean, I think Jalen probably, if, if once you've had, you know, an ineligible semester, you're probably always going to be in, uh, you know, what somebody might call, it, you know, a danger zone, you know, in terms of the cumulative average and all that kind of stuff. Cumulative GPA. Uh, I don't think we know anything directly in terms of, uh, you know, or anything specifically about, uh, you know, academics. It just would be an ongoing, I think, concern just to be sure, you know, that that everything's, you know, handled well. And I thought, you know, Jalen came back really, really strong by the end of the spring, and uh, and it was just sort of a a new attitude or new awakening. You know, he felt like, okay, I am back and, and I'm ready to go and and uh, with Connor Spears having that, you know, the good thing about that, it allowed Connor Spears to kind of establish himself. And so, uh, so you, you know, I think they came out of, you know, spring about as, as good as you could hope with, with those two guys. And uh, uh, there may be some, uh, some surprising or some developments that we haven't talked about yet. And we don't know for sure, uh, you know, a tight end, but, uh, you know, we've got, uh, uh, the Taylor McNamara kid from, um, Oklahoma and, uh, and then the Pettit kid coming in, uh, so as a freshman. So I, I'm not sure that tight end is in as difficult a spot as maybe we thought it, it might be. Uh, but again, and then the last thing we've heard about Bryce, it was, sounded really negative there at the at the beginning. Um, it doesn't sound quite so. I mean, we've heard you know at the uh, at the USC coaches uh, uh, clinic uh, there was some talk uh, between you know all the coaches there, and the word you were getting was that maybe you know Bryce will there will be a way back for Bryce. Uh, for for next year, so you know he's still in school, still you know hanging out, playing basketball, came to came to a practice. Uh, so um, I, I I don't think we know. I mean, it's one of those. The whole process is now you know secret. And these these kinds of uh, new judicial hearings that they set up for student conduct uh, issues. Uh, everybody's sworn to secrecy and. Uh, it's uh, they're not exactly public, and um, so we'll see where this goes. But it's probably not as negative as we thought it was, and it sounded like uh, maybe six weeks ago. All right, we got one last one for you, Dan. International question, which we love to uh, have. So uh, thanks for sending those in, and we'll we'll end the show with that. It says, "I'll start off by saying that I'm a member. Uh, I'm, excuse me, I'm a massive fan from Australia." My obsession with Trojan football began in the mid-2000s when I saw a highlight video of Reggie Bush juking defenders out of their socks and then leaping over UCLA players for touchdowns. I've been a fan ever since. It just shows that even though I'm on the other side of the world, I was definitely captivated, like many high school recruits are today, by the Reggie Bush effect. My question is regard. Uh, my question regards how Coach Sarkeesian runs his program. We all know that when Pete Carroll was here, that he implemented his, quote, win forever philosophy – into the program. Does Coach Sark still lean on Pete's philosophy, or does he have a philosophy of his own? Thanks, guys, and fight on, Elliot. Well, I think he's moving more toward Pete's philosophy. I mean, I, I, I think you're seeing more of that sense of, uh, you know, you even though you were here as Sark, you know, as a student and as a, you know, grad assistant and an assistant and all the other things, I don't know that you absolutely totally understand, you know, what the whole USC thing means until you come back as the head coach and you're seeing how you're recruiting and and what you're telling, you know, kids and how you're, you know, you're basically recruiting, you know, to play for a national champion. And uh, I think that kind of, you know, changes maybe just the the way you look at yourself and the way you look at the program and what you ask of the players and how you frame it. And I thought that was up for grabs. I mean, Sark had, had framed his own, this is how we're going to do things, and he had had five years at the University of Washington to 
put that into focus. But much like Pete, uh, Pete wasn't the same guy here that he was, um, say, at all his stops, you know, along the way, at, you know, Oklahoma or where else, Arkansas, Ohio State, University of Pacific, where he started out, and, and all the places that Pete was, and then, the, you know, the Jets and the, and the New England Patriots. That wasn't the same Pete that we saw when he got here, and after a year or so, you got to see, okay, this is exactly who he, uh, Pete Carroll is, and this is exactly how he sees his program. And I, I think we saw a little bit of that last year with, uh, with Sark over the year and adjusting to the numbers and adjusting to being at USC and adjusting to all the things you end up adjusting to uh, and, and your new staff as well. I think what we're seeing from Sark what we're hearing from Sark and the way he's talking about it, uh, more moving in the direction of the Pete Carroll. Uh, I think they do a really good job. One of the things I think he's done the best uh, of all is the competing at practice and um, and playing guys basically because of the way they practice and allowing them to you know to, to compete at practice and and to let that practice competition really determine not so much how they were recruited or where they were recruited or anything like that, but it's uh, what do you show what do you show in practice? The ability now with the numbers to get practice up uh, to get the you know the squad size to where it was and, and Pete never had. A really a full squad, uh, but they had the ability to practice game tempo like nobody we'd seen. Now, the difference now is more teams are, are practicing and are playing at a tempo that they practice at. So USC had a big advantage, I think, uh, in terms of the ability to play fast and, uh, and, to, and, and to develop that game tempo at practice. I think it's harder to have an advantage now because more teams uh, – go like that all the time. Uh, but, uh, but I think more Sark is more, uh, in the, in the Pete mold. And I think he doesn't ever say this is, he, you know, he wants to be his own person and, and, and you really, there's probably no benefit in, in saying this is the way Pete did it or this is whatever. But for those of us who were, you know, for there for much of the, you know, the Pete time, we're starting to see, some more similarities uh, to to that kind of you know that kind of approach and uh, and I think one of the great things that Pete did was he freed his players uh, in the big games to be able to make the big plays and uh, I think after a year of kind of just trying to hold on and trying to hang you know hang on till the end and it didn't always work. But I think on both offense and defense, they're basically much more uh, likely to just go for it and uh, and free guys like Sue Cravens and Dory Jackson and Juju Smith and, and Cody. And you know, the, I know a lot of the talk about Cody was, well, he really rips the heck out of uh, you know not the greatest opponents, and then he has a, you know more of a difficult time against the um, you know the, the better teams. I always thought some of that was an awful lot of that might have been the game plan and the, yeah. and the way USC went after the, in those games and that they were tentative and they tended to to not just go after it just you know every game the same way. Uh, so I think you'll see more of that. So I don't, I don't know that we know you know the total where is this all going, but I think we see where it's heading and and I kind of like where it's heading, but. You got to stay on that path. You can't, you know, get to the game three and decide, you know, we're going to maybe pull in the reins or whatever. I think you got to say, this is how USC football plays. This is how we're going to play it, and we're not going to look back. Dan, great stuff. Elliot, thanks for that question, by the way. I uh, love hearing from people far away, Australia, about as far as you can go. I, I went there. And, and I'll tell Elliot again. One more vote that Paul D. was right about one thing. Yeah. Paul D. wanted to penalize USC because of all those players they're going to get because of Reggie Bush. Paul, you were right. He was right they about one thing. get a lot of players <laughs> Reggie Bush. And a lot of fans, apparently, too. So, uh, But thanks yeah, for that, great. Elliot. Yeah, and Dan, thank you. Great stuff, as always. Really appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Rod.
All right, and everyone else. Thank you very hope, much. Yeah, thanks, Dan, and hope you enjoyed the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde in our first segment. Hope you enjoy the show, and we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 